Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. I pray that that is your testimony this morning, that you know him, that you walk with him, that uh, he is indeed your savior, uh, your friend. And this morning we are continuing a series that we started last month. Last month we talked about understanding our assignment. It would be horrible to get to the end of life and realize that we were focused on the wrong things or looking to the wrong things or doing the wrong things. And I believe that we did a good job and that you guys had already a good understanding of what it means to be commissioned to make disciples. Here at West End Baptist Church, our purpose, very clearly stated, is that we exist. Together we glorify God by making mature disciples of all nations starting right here. And so that's important for us to grasp and to understand. And we understand the concept of discipleship. We understand it because we see it all the time. Have you had a, some of us I know have had running coaches. We've had uh, uh, diet coaches and exercise personal trainers. We've had mentors in school and mentors in other relationships that we have nurtured. And we understand the principles behind that. But somehow it seems to be significantly missing in both personal growth and being used by God to help others follow close after Christ. There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first son with an assignment. He said, I need you to go work in the vineyards today. Field work, got to be done. And that son didn't want to. And so he said, nope, I won't. But after a while, he changed his mind, and he went and he worked in the vineyard. Well, meanwhile, the man had gone to his other son and he gave the assignment. He said, go, go work in the vineyard today. That son said, yes, sir, I'll go. And he never went. Which one did the will of his father? You can answer. It's okay. The first one. <laughs> Good. The first one, the first, this is Matthew 21, a parable that Jesus told. The first one, who one who actually went and did the will of his father. Here's the challenge. We understand the mandate. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And even with the disciples and, and, and the apostles in Acts chapter 1, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We understand the mandate. And we know the models. Jesus called and made disciples. His disciples made disciples. And those disciples, in turn, made disciples. But there are also, also methods to employ. Clearly, making disciples is the mission of the church. And now that we understand the assignment, we're going to go deeper into how fully each of us can fulfill our role in the assignment. It is not enough to understand the assignment. You must act on it. Now, there was a a cookbook that came out in the 50s. It was based upon an 18th century statement, but he started this with talking about a particular dish or a particular way to prepare dish, and the first line in it was, first, catch your fish. Now, Stephen is a skilled fisherman, and he catches a lot of fish. And I don't know what the deal is, but we can go fishing to the same place at the same time in the same kind of craft with the same kind of lures, and he comes back with fish, and I don't. I come back with the sunburn, and that's it. That's all I caught. Sometimes catching fish is the hardest part. Sometimes 
identifying our role specifically and who we are to disciple can be the hardest part. And I want to be clear here. After all, we are a Bible-believing church. We are a missional congregation. Aren't we all making disciples? And I do want to make sure that I'm clear on the direction of this series. Everything we do in the life of this church is a step or a component or a part of making disciples. Through our Sunday music, we're teaching people how to worship in song. A biblical and vital part of worship, music is the language of the heart. And employing the gifts and enthusiasm that God gives us is important. You ought to be able to sing and worship to the Lord, not only when we're gathered corporately, but when you're riding down the road, when you're at home at work, you ought to be able to worship through music. The preaching of the word is an essential component in disciple making, making sure that whoever stands in this pulpit teaches the truth of Scripture, line by line, precept of upon precept, principle upon principle, truth upon truth. Frankly, it is the most important thing I do as a pastor is to proclaim the word of God. Every component of this, taking offerings is a sign of our yieldedness and surrender and stewardship to God, our love for him. Praying, praying publicly so that people can practice and learn to pray privately. Reading scripture, becoming more familiar with the word of God, helping people be equipped to read scripture. In our Sunday school classes, our Christian Life Academy classes, and small groups, that's an important part of how we make disciples. Serving on a ministry team, whether you're a a greeter or helping people park, whether you're teaching in a class, whether you're praying intentionally and specifically, whether you're planning a Bible study or a retreat, whether you're serving at a ministry here on Sunday or on Tuesday or in any other time that the church is gathered to work, providing a safe place for babies and toddlers, a service, diaconia, To one another, the body gives us multiple opportunities for making disciples. But here's the challenge. Get this. Pay attention here. Here's the challenge. You can do all those things and never never be involved, never be used by God to make a disciple. The perpetual challenge is that it is possible to participate in all of these things and miss the point. It's possible to serve, to sit in a class, to lead a team, to sing with enthusiasm, to hear a message, and to view them simply as tasks to be performed without actually working to see that someone else is growing in their faith, is growing in their knowledge, is growing in their trust in Jesus. And so while we work to make sure everything that we do here moves us, uh, is in accordance with and moves us toward our goal of making disciples, and that includes things that go on the calendar, budget allocations, how we, how we schedule our time, we must put and keep our focus on personal disciple making. Sound like a lecture so far? Let, let me see if I can explain what I'm talking about. Let's say you have two people that are part of a small group Bible study. And it's engaging truth. And you hear a story or you hear a principle or God speaks to your heart. And you sit there in the study and you say, man, this is good. And you take these questions and you go sit at home and you do follow-up questions and you go deeper. And you learn and you are drawing closer to Christ and how you follow after him. But that's as far as it goes. Now compare that to the person who goes through the same experience that you've gone through. But instead, they look at somebody in the room who is going through the same Bible study, who may be having a shared experience, and they say, you know, I wonder how they're doing. If they're ahead, they can teach me and I can learn from them. If I'm experiencing some victory here and they're struggling, then I can talk to them and We can follow up and see how things go. And so you just call him up. He calls him up. He invites him out for coffee. By the way, when I say invite somebody out for coffee, that means anything from let's go get a cup of coffee to 
let's go get a full meal to let's spend the afternoon together to let's go fish and talk while we fish. You understand what I'm saying? You, you, you invest in time together. And they begin to talk and they begin to share and they begin to open up their lives. And as a result of their time together, both are strengthening their walk more than simply engaging in the study in isolation. Are we clear? See, it's important. It's important. We need personal relationships. What too often is lacking in our mandate to make disciples is the personal or better interpersonal relationship that enables us to actually walk with one another as we draw closer to Jesus. Remember, the simplest definition of making disciples, it means helping others follow Jesus. Discipling is a relationship in which we seek to do spiritual good to someone else by initiating, teaching, correcting, modeling, loving, humbling ourselves, counseling, influence, spending time with, and encouraging I'm sure all of us are happy to have relationships at the acquaintance, casual level, particularly in church. We're called, however, to open up our lives to one another. You guys wonder why I'm walking around with this? By the way, I'm perpetually cold, so this serves very many practical functions, and I've had it wrapped around me. But it's an illustration. Years ago, I saw this illustration, and I thought it was great. But a man was describing his crazy Aunt Alice. You guys have any crazy relatives? You can raise your hand, but stop pointing. Okay. Some of us have crazy relatives, and this guy was describing his crazy Aunt Alice, and he said she always walked around with a rug. And the problem with Aunt Alice was that every once in a while, she'd become just overwhelmed by noise, and, and she had enough so that she just couldn't take in people anymore. And when it got to that point, she would just throw her rug on the ground, and she would stand in the middle of her rug. And sometimes she would just close her eyes and clench her hands. And everybody knew that the worst possible thing you could do at that point was to step on that rug. An explosion was likely to follow. But she had her rug and she would stand in the middle of that rug in her isolation until she was able to take a breath. And then she'd pick her rug back up and she was able to engage again. Now, some of you are thinking... That's a great idea. <laughs> okay. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to apply that to what it means for us as a Christian. A lot of times, like we as Christians, in, even in a church relationship, we walk around with our rugs. And we have our barriers. And we create barriers that God never intended that we create. And we isolate. We're happy to be acquaintances, but we're not happy to take the risk of opening up our time, our lives, our thoughts, and ourselves to other people. So this is the first point that I want you to write on your outline. Olivia read the text, but the first point is we need to be willing to let others into your life at increasingly deeper levels. Listen to the text again, how Paul describes his relationship to Timothy. And let me open it to the correct Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. We just sang, Jesus is my life. And then he writes to Timothy, and listen to how he describes this. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. You think he was close to Timothy? That he had let Timothy in his life and he, he, had, he had taken Timothy into his. 
I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your faith, sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Again, the focus here that I want us to draw from this text is simply the, 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 the experience that Paul had in this relationship, the way that he was open, able to open his life and be used by God to make a disciple of Timothy. He did not get in his rug and keep people away. He stepped off of it and let people in. I don't know if you guys get these emails, but Barna just completed a survey in, in uh, cooperation with the Navigators. It's a national discipleship organization that do a great job. And they disp- explored discipleship across the United States. And his definition of discipleship was very broad. Some form of relational investment in which spiritual growth is the goal and takes place. And they found that two in five, or 39%, aren't engaged in any kind of discipleship relationship at all. Not in a small group, not in interpersonal relationships, none. They go to church and they go home and they go on about their lives. And when they begin to explore why is this the case, why isn't every Christian involved, either in giving and in getting or in those relationships that both, and the number one barrier was it said people felt like they were not equipped. They felt like they were not prepared, not equipped. And I want to tell you, and I have told you over the last several weeks, you don't need to be a disciple-making guru. You don't need to be a, a theologian with advanced degrees. You simply need, need to be a, a means of grace to other disciples. You open your life. Disciple-making is for everyday, blood-bought, blood imperfect followers of Christ. So we open our lives and we encourage one another as we search the Scriptures together, as we pray, as we live as Christians together. The number two barrier was no one ever suggested it to me. No one's ever asked me. Well, let's just dispense with that one right now. I am asking you to seek God's will and guidance in developing intentional disciple-making relationships for your benefit, for God's glory, and for the good of this congregation and God's work in the world. Now, that's not personal. I may go around and meet you afterwards and invite you personally. But it's important that we recognize it's a calling for us. They ask questions. Why aren't we in discipling relationships? And I love the first one that said, well, I just haven't thought about it. Well, let's take that one off the table right now. The second one is I haven't found someone who I would want to have this kind of relationship with. Now, how many of you can relate to that? Oh, I would love a discipling relationship, but not you, not you, not you. It gets kind of hard. The third was, I don't know how to begin this kind of relationship with someone. Well, folks, that's what we're studying. This is where we begin. First, catch your fish. First, catch your fish. How do we find someone to have this kind of relationship with? Paul and Timothy are so important. Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, to Timothy, my beloved child. Paul first came across Timothy on his second missionary journey. In Acts chapter 16, when he came to Derby and Lystra, a disciple was there. Um, a young man already saved, already involved in the life of the congregation gathered. His name was Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman, a Greek father. He was a believer, and he was well spoken of. He was respected. And Paul saw him and said, I want you to come with me. And he invited Timothy 
into his life. But it wasn't just Timothy. If you know anything about Paul, you know it was the same with Epaphras and Epaphroditus and Onesimus and Priscilla and Aquila and many, many more. Paul was, as we should be, on the lookout for people that God brings into our lives that will help us and that we can help follow him, which is the second point on the outline. I want you, along with me, to trust God to bring the right people into your life. I want you to trust God to bring the right people into your life. Do you remember when Jesus called his disciples what he did the night before? In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, in these days, he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Some of us have just, you know, we say, oh, I can't find any friends or I can't find anybody that I want to have this kind of relationship with or this is another thing on my calendar. Wait, can I tell you the first thing that you do is simply ask God? God, would you bring someone into my life? God, would you send me into someone's life that we can, I can be used by you to help them as they follow after you? And I do want to make a component here. Discipleship is supposed to happen in the context many times of family, our relational family. But it certainly happens in the context of church life. When you're talking about beyond evangelism. Because if you're talking about lost people, you can't, lost people cannot understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. It is foolishness to them. And so you engage in Gospel conversations, you engage in scriptural conversations, you invest your life in them to present to them the goodness of God, the sinfulness of man, God's provision through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the primary goal in spiritual conversations with lost people is the good news of Christ. But for those of us who have been saved, listen, every babe needs someone to take care of them, amen? You know that, right? Every new believer, every person who's new to church and just feeling their way, they need someone to come and just say, I'll be your friend. You got any questions? I'll be your friend. Let's do this. I'll be your friend. Let's do that. You evangelize your non-Christian. You encourage and you mentor new believers. But I got to tell you, there are a lot of people on the pew who have been in the pews or in the chairs for a very long time, and yet they are not, they're still on milk. They're not in the meat of the Word of God. And so as we look around, we look around and say, God, who would you lead me to? When we talk about here at church, uh, for the team leaders, your first job is to disciple your team members. Small group leaders, your first job is to disciple the members of the, of the, of the group that you're a part of. But you look, that's the primary purpose. Even here, just look around. There are people in this room that you should be spending time with. Now, I do want to make a couple of notes really quick. Discipleship is never an exclusive relationship among a few people, but a normal pursuit among all members. We used to have a Sunday school class at a church that I was a pastor of, and they had their teacher, and they had their schedule, and they had their members. And I went one Sunday morning and was bringing some new people. I said, hey, look, here's a guest. They want to come and be a part of your Sunday school class. And this group actually said, well, we're full. All our chairs are full. Now, you, you, that's astonishing, isn't it? But even if that's not the case practically, and it was the case in one class at one time, but even if that's not the case practically, how many times do we convey that in our demeanor when somebody that is not part of our group comes in? And we'll greet and we'll be kind and then we'll turn our back on them 
And that's as far as that goes. We need to make sure that discipleship is not simply an exclusive relationship, just you and me and nobody else. But also I want to make sure that we understand these discipling relationships don't always look the same. They don't, the way Paul discipled Dr. Luke is different than the way Paul discipled Timothy. The way that Paul discipled Onesimus is different than the way that Paul, well, than Aquila and Priscilla discipled Apollos. It depends upon what the situation in life is. It depends upon what's needed. The schedule may be different. It may be reading through a book of the Bible. It may be doing study together. Uh, it may be praying together. It may be just meeting to share your life at the beginning and encourage one another. Life on life discipleship is literally stepping into the life of the other. Jesus called Peter and he called Andrew. He called James and he John. He said, you leave what you got. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Leave. Come. Time, life invested. You, and now, and I do want to say something else. Some of you are like, I have all the friends I can handle. We have, uh, we have two beautiful daughters, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about their characteristics here really quick. We have one daughter who, who, who knew people or just friends she hadn't met yet. She is all about social activities, social events. She can keep track of people, names. Now, our other daughter is also a very friendly, wonderful, wonderful young lady. But she only needs two or three friends. And, and that's, that's all that she feels the need for. Now, can you guys relate to one or, one or the other of those? Okay. Neither one is wrong. Neither one is wrong. But let me tell you something. As believers, when we talk about investing in people's lives, the, there may be people already in your life that you're spending time with, that you are, I don't know, going to the game with, coming downtown with, seeing us socially, having coffee with on a regular basis. They're already in your life. And here's my question for you. Are you making it a priority in that relationship to help them and encourage them grow closer in their walk with God? You see, sometimes we don't have to find people. We already found them. We just aren't discipling them. And so we need to make sure that we understand discipleship doesn't look the same, and it may be somebody that you're already in a relationship. But I do want to mention another thing. You need to be willing to take some risks. You need to be in this. There may be somebody new that God would have you use for his glory. Take some risks. Paul always did this. We could, we could walk through the book of Acts and see again how he was willing to open up his life in risky circumstances and situations. But can I tell you something? We need to initiate contact. Sometimes God will lay somebody on your heart as you're praying. And it'll be somebody that you're looking around at. Maybe somebody you're already in a relationship with. And God's saying, I want you to move this relationship to the next level. I want you to move this relationship to a level where you're actually talking about me and helping them study the scriptures and helping them learn what it means to have a devotional life and have a prayer and how to live day by day with the knowledge of the presence of God. And you're like Moses. Or you're like Gideon. Well, you're like most of us at some point or the other, and you say, God, who me? Who me? Who me? I, I don't know enough. I, I'm not equipped enough. I'm not nice. I'm too busy. God, it's not a good time. It's not a good time. And God's like, I just want you available, and I just want you obedient. And so you have the courage to take some risk. In Sunday school this morning, we looked at the first part of the book of Joshua what is the recurring theme of God's communication to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through verse 9? 
Be strong and courageous. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. And God always expects us to be obedient to the commands that he has given to us. Amen? It's important to initiate contact. Can I tell you something I think is fun? You ought to, you ought to start a friendship with somebody that's different from you. Are you old? Find a kid. Are you a kid? Find somebody old. Are you from one side of the tracks? Find somebody from the other side of the tracks. That's a reference from where I was raised. Few things visibly display the power of the gospel as much as the unity it achieves among people who are divided by categories we have in our culture and our society. I'll, one, of the, one of the joys. By the way, I wanna, I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10. I'm going to brag not on me but on you, but really on God. I was talking to a couple of pastors this week, and we got to share about what's going on in our churches, and we were praying for one another. And one of the guys said, nobody in my church wants to do anything. Anytime something needs doing, they just want to hire a staff person. And we can't afford a staff person, so it doesn't get done. He said, how many people in your church actually serve? And we looked that up, by the way, in case you don't know, but about 80 to 85% of our covenant memberships are actively involved weekly or monthly in a ministry service to the glory of God. Praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Service is a key component of this. But another part of this is one guy, just on the north side of town, he says, everybody in my church looks the same. He said, we went out in the parking lot, and we had seven Buicks of the same model in the parking lot. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> I thought that was great. And so I got to share, hey, listen, in our church, no, none of us look the same. You can come here and you can find people from every spectrum of life. Such a variety, diverse group of people. You know what we are supposed to look like? We're supposed to look like Antioch, where Christian Jews were run out and they ran up to a Greek city and they didn't limit their proclamation in the synagogue. They didn't limit their gospel service to just people who were like them and who were relocated. They didn't keep their little small group just worshiping God in isolation, but they opened up and spread the gospel to a radically diverse city and community. And there were Jews and there were Greeks and there were affluent people and there were people who are in poverty and there are different nationalities in different languages and they came together to glorify God as they opened up their lives to one another with the gospel praise the Lord so when you take the risk to invite someone into a discipling conversation can I encourage you to look for somebody not like you somebody that's different from you the Bible talks about older women are to teach the younger women younger men are to be taught by older men and to give respect to them Find someone who has different experience from you, who has a different background. And can I tell you that when you do, you're going to find people who have different values than you do. I've got a, a guy that uh, I, I try to meet with on a fairly regular basis. We have an almost insurmountable obstacle. He doesn't drink coffee. And so we found a place that will serve both coffee and whatever it is that he drinks because there are only two drinks, water and coffee. Those are the only ones I know. So that we can sit down. But you'll find people who have 
different values than you do. You'll find people who uh, view relationships different than you do. You'll find people who have a different understanding of aspects of the Christian life than you do, and it will be challenging, and it will be stretching, and sometimes it will be extremely frustrating. And let me tell you, God will use you in their life and use them in your life. And then you find somebody who is both available and accessible. The Bible is sensitive to time and busy schedules. Paul writes in Galatians 6, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's some wisdom here, but God, if he leads you to someone, he will make it appropriate for you to be able to invest in them with time. Now, I need to close this sermon. We're about halfway through, but... The summary is I'm willing to take a step of expanding my friend group or opening up my life to someone else. I will pray and ask God who it is that he would invest my life in. I will keep my eyes open. If they're different from me, that's fine. If they're older or younger, if they are more or less affluent, if they're a different race, nationality, or they have a different heart language or home language, if they have different even convictions from me, that's okay. I'll sign up. I want to be used by God. But here's the deal. We need to make sure that we don't sign up in order to straighten them out. You understand, some of us had the idea that we're here to fix everybody. Y'all know people like that. I see you nodding. We have some people who just think it's their job to get in everybody's business and fix them. That is not a discipling relationship. It's just not. The right attitude is to approach your relationships with humility. Approach your relationships with humility. Scripture commends the teachable son and he repudiates the fool who scorns rebuke, instruction, and counsel. Furthermore, it tells us that God leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, says, You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Have you ever tried to teach someone that was unteachable? You ever had a two-year-old? Have you ever tried to teach someone that was unteachable? A few things are more difficult and frustrating. In the same way that you don't want to spend time trying to teach someone who thinks they have nothing or you have nothing to invest in them or teach them and that they have nothing to learn, you don't want to assume that you have all of the answers and your job is to fix them. Teaching, learning, encouraging goes both ways. Here's the deal, and I've got a whole section here on Paul's humility. I'm just going to point you to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and 10. And look at and 11, and look at the humility of the Apostle Paul, this greatest disciple and missionary of all. But can I tell you that you also need to thank God. You have to be humble when you remember who you were and remember what he's done. You see, you can make disciples because you are a disciple. When you're in the Word of God and when you're filled with the Spirit of God, can I tell you that you are being discipled if you're walking in obedience. He is continually teaching and instructing and equipping. He is continually putting you in circumstances and situations that will stress you and challenge you and make you dependent upon Him. There is no success in the Christian life apart from the presence and the power of God working in you. And He will continually direct your path as you follow Him. To root your life and firmly establish it upon him. This morning we come now to thank God for the grace that he bestowed upon us. I want us to remember that when we were unlovely, he loved us. When we were an offense to him, he forgave us. When we ignored him and fled him, he pursued us. When we were in times past in the world without hope, he became your home. And he became your hope. Isn't God good?
So, a very specific invitation, get off your rug. Be willing to open your life to someone else. Find someone in a relationship you're already in, and it may be just simply turning the nature of the relationship to how about this football team or how about this sport or how about this school or what's going on with this section of my life and saying, what are you learning from God this week? Can we just go through the Gospel of John together chapter by chapter and see what we can learn about Jesus? Or how can I pray with you and can we pray together because I want to hear other people talk with God. I want to know how better to talk with God, how better to listen to God. And we open our lives to the people that are around us. 